What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Locked On Bucks. And look who's next to me again. Justin Garcia somehow has been roped into another podcast. And we didn't get it to it on yesterday's show, but we're going to talk about it today. John Horst, uh, he's been in the GM seat for around five years now, five, six years. So we're going to look back at the the major moves because it's always a talking point. What is the team doing from a front office point of view? So there's been some big signings. There's been plenty of trades. He's never afraid of a trade, John Horse. So we're going to look back at all those moves and ask the question, uh, how would we would assess uh, the GM tenure of John Horst so far? So let's get started. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can see and hear me on this show Monday to Friday and also find my work over at ESPN. And alongside me, as he was yesterday, and as he is very regularly, from the Bucks Radio Network, Justin Garcia. And we thank you for making Locked On Bucks your first listen or first watch of every day. The audio version, a little bit delayed uh, yesterday's pod. We had some issues there uh, trying to get that one uploaded, which I believe was uh, right across the board on uh, multiple different podcast platforms whatever you want to say there were some issues there but we appreciate it either way uh, and as is normally the case when i podcast with anyone i should say but when i podcast with justin we get caught up we have great plans for what we're going to talk about on a show and then we never quite get to it and i did tease yesterday we're going to look at uh, john horst and the performance of, of bucks gm john horst since he uh, moved into the top job back in june 2017 but uh Let's get into it now, uh, Justin. And, and we should say, it's interesting looking back at John Horst and, and how long he's actually been with the franchise going back to 2008 in a front office role in some capacity, particularly when you consider even right now, this man is only 39 years old uh, and he's been the GM of an NBA franchise for quite a while. And I think when he was first hired, I think Frank describes it as uh, one of the most bizarre situations or one of the most bizarre podcasts that he's done in his seven, eight years or whatever he's been doing locked on bucks, just because at the time it did feel like a hire that, well, no one can really decide who they want or what's going to happen. Oh, John Horst is, is the GM. And I think it took everyone uh, by surprise. Uh, was that the initial thoughts for you? If you remember all the way back uh, to the end of the 2016, 2017 season? Um, yeah, I think my initial uh, thoughts were who? Yeah, like, that's right. yeah. Um, because John Horse joined the he had the relationship with John Hammond. He worked with him uh, in Detroit, and it was what 2008, I think, mm-hmm. when he actually came over and joined. So, like you mentioned, uh, when he started five years on the on the job now, I'm 39 years old uh, as the GM, but 14 years going on mm. 15 years in the organization and. It's a 39 year old. So like he really cut his teeth and grew up here in this, in this Bucks organization. But yeah, it was um, the way I remember it was a lot of confusion and uh, a lot of uncertainty over like, what does this mean in terms of what's next for the, the future for this team, the future 
of uh, Jason Kidd as well as there was a lot of thought that it was going to be Jason Kidd taking over and what does this move mean <laughs> for John Horst and I mean remember too and granted we've seen him land on his feet and uh, is in I believe the top spot once again in Utah but remember all the the ballyhoo over the Justin Zanuck move where the Bucks lured him over and it wasn't very long then Justin Zanuck leaves and you're searching for the replacement and it ends up being John Horst and I think that kind of added to it as well as you had a fan base that was really excited that you looked at Justin Zanuck and thought, man, this guy was really involved with the G league affiliate for the jazz and did some work there and has shown the ability to kind of spot talent and find guys that Utah has developed that this is exactly what we need. And in the blink of an eye, he was gone. So I think that kind of added to it as well of what's going on here. The, the consternation that everybody took that to mean, Jason Kidd is actually running the show in terms of personnel moves. So I just remember leading up to that day in the summer when they finally announced that it was John Horst of like, what's the direction here and where's this franchise headed? Who's, who's going to be taking over next. And, and even John Horst, like we said, 2008, he joined the team, but he didn't join the team as like an assistant GM. He joined at a low level. So even that he, he had been with the organization for almost 10 years at that point, but you were still like, who is this guy? Yeah, and I think that that's uh, important to note when you think about the extensions and stuff that he's been able to organize and Chris Milton and obviously the big one with Giannis. It's, I know it's always something that you know people will be skeptical about or whatever, but uh, you know it was even interesting to me just reading the Giannis book. And, and I've said this before, the, the Giannis book, by the way, beautifully written. But I, I, I do think if you've followed this team super, super closely, you were probably aware of, of a lot of the the main stories that came up through that book. Uh, but it is just interesting in some of those early years when John Horst is mentioned as being around Giannis. And I think it is kind of overlooked a little bit that these two have, have known each other for the whole time, you know, that Giannis has been in Milwaukee and what that contributed to that ex- extension. I'm not hundred percent sure, but uh, I've always said this, whether it's coaches, GMs, it's kind of a thankless job in the way that most of the time, uh, the the criticism comes a lot easier than than the the round of applause. But if we go back to the end of the 2016-17 season, so it was June, uh, he was actually hired around a week, officially hired around a week before the draft. There, the Bucks ended up taking DJ Wilson. I think there's been all sorts of reports, rumors that DJ Wilson was uh, heavily backed by by Jason Kidd. He was a guy that that Jason Kidd wanted in that draft. But if we move into the season, uh, the the first major move. I guess, first major, major move, I guess, that, that John Horse made uh, was uh, trading Greg Monroe. And, you know, it's interesting because Greg Monroe, I think, is someone that Bucks fans will always be thankful for, for the fact that he first signed with Milwaukee and he was their big free agent signing at the time. It was super exciting for the team. But the one thing I will say with this trade, I think it was obvious at this point the game was starting to go away from you know, where Greg Monroe was, where he made his living in previous years. Uh, they also traded a first rounder. I think there was a second in there as well. But they get Eric Bledsoe back. And you could say, well, I think at this point in time, the uh, currency of Eric Bledsoe was interesting based on the tweets and all those types of things that are going on. But I think overall, and that first, by the way, ended up conveying in 2020, it was Desmond Bain because it was pick 30. The Bucks had the best record uh, in the NBA the year before. So Desmond Bain clearly looks like quite the player. But I think at the time, uh, overall, this was a move that seemed to make significant sense to me to bring Bledsoe in. And you would have to say, clearly, the playoff results weren't the best. 
but I still think this was a, a relatively good trade at the time when you consider that Munro's not even in the league and in really he didn't play a lot after after this trade was uh, trade went through. Yeah, um, a nice homecoming for him this past year too. Sure. But um, I was, I remember at the time, I was um, not in favor of the Eric Bledsoe deal. Um, not that I was ahead of the curve on Eric Bledsoe's ability as a player. I just thought, but I don't know. Like you, you've already got Malcolm Brogdon that's mm-hmm. starting to come on here. That I don't know that that's really the glaring hole to upgrade. And I think it's important to note that you know pretty similar to uh, what we have said about Jason Kidd, that it's easy to point to some of the shortcomings in the in the playoffs and, and say this team didn't go as far as we wanted it to, so he was bad. It's easy to do the same thing with Eric Bledsoe, but I think both were important in the Bucks' growth and steps to becoming where they were, that you need somebody to take you to that platform and then you need somebody to come in and take you to the next level. Bud was that guy. We saw Drew Holiday took the reins from Eric Bledsoe and said, okay, here's how we get to that next level. Um, but it, it certainly proved to be a good deal that, you know, the first round pick aside, you gave up Greg Monroe, as you as you pointed to, the league was moving away from that. And you know, Greg Monroe never really had a, a face-up game, and it's not anything he's really developed either as, as time has gone on. So you were able to make that adjustment uh, with the times. You saw some of the limitations of Bledsoe, but, I mean, Eric Bledsoe really helped that defense become what it was was it with his ability to defend at the point of attack and, and take on point guards. And that's part of why that defense worked so well with the drop, with him at, at the front and Brooke Lopez protecting the rim. So uh, overall, for the assets you gave up, yes, I know it's always tough to part with a first-rounder, but that was, for his first major move, that was a win for John Horst. Well, partying with first-rounders uh, has actually become pretty common theme for this Bucks team as we're going to continue to walk through here and John Horst uh, has built this roster I played a major part in uh, in how this roster has been built uh, which reminds me uh, I could use a built bar right now actually while we're doing this uh, podcast here anytime I I think about that word I think about built bar and we've been asking and built has delivered built granola bars are here and I know everyone's fired up about that built granola bars coming three unbelievable flavors chocolate peanut butter Chocolate coconut, uh, Justin, and uh, white chocolate berry. If you want to try all three flavors, you can get a mixed box at Built.com right now. Uh, these are so different from the bars and the puffs. Built granola bars are loaded with granola. It's the perfect combination of crunch and chewiness. But just like the bars and puffs, uh, these babies are packed with protein and covered in 100% real chocolate with 150 calories, 15 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar. Built granola bars will change your world. Built has cracked the code to better granola. They're the perfect, healthy snack to pack into your lunch, take on the road, or eat as a snack as well. So, uh, look, we know people have been waiting for Built to get on board the granola train, and they are there right now. Go to Built.com to get Built Granola Bars now. Just use the promo code LOCK15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. I, while we're talking about draft picks on this podcast, you should check out the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast as well. The Bucks currently uh, pick 24. Uh, again, we're going to continue to build uh, on the road to the draft here over the next couple of weeks, so you can go and check that out. But uh, one word that I... Or actually, I should say two words. Two words that I would associate with John Horse reign as GM with the Bucks, uh, both through 
decisions that were made before he was in the big chair and decisions that he's made along the way. Uh, damage control. And this is uh, this is a little bit of a, a, a part of it. And uh, I think that, that following off season, first we should say uh, Jason Kidd was fired towards the back end of the season. The hiring of Mike Budenholzer, which... You know, I, I really, even back at the time, I think there was so much optimism about what they could bring. I think there was so much distaste for the, the direction of the team when Jason Kidd was there that I think uh, it did feel like the start of a new beginning and it felt like a launch pad. It certainly ended up being that way. Uh, another guy, thanks to the Lakers, the Bucks were able to sign on a super cheap deal. Brooke Lopez proved a genius move. And quite frankly, so did so did Pat Connaughton as a, as a yep. free agent there. And, and one other deal that is probably under the radar um, that I've always looked back on and said, geez, it would have been easy to make a mistake here. Uh, Jabari Parker deciding to you know, waive the qualifying offer, let him go to Chicago and say, we're not going to match this. And and I do think that part of the benefit of John Horse not being the guy that drafted him is maybe that there's no personal but, attachment yeah. to trying to recoup uh, the value of that draft pick. I mean, we've spoken about it and no doubt, you know, blowing the second round draft pick and you can say, there was certainly unlucky factors there with the knees and stuff, but I do think it's overlooked a little bit. I mean, you know, even though it was only a two-year, twenty, yeah, forty million dollar deal, I think it was with Chicago. Uh, it sucks to let such a valuable draft pick go like that, but offering him any type of contract would have been a big mistake. The, I guess the, in hindsight, the tough part was if you offered him a deal and you retained him, that was an an asset to trade. And and that's Mm -hmm. the other kind of constant that has popped up with this team is they don't have a whole lot of that anymore, but no, I agree. And remember how much people lost their minds over the decision to just let the number two overall pick walk. It's not great. Which I guess to say, I, I understand that part to say, this guy was the number two overall pick that you have just wasted this asset and you're getting nothing from this, but not having him on the team was the right basketball decision for the Bucks to make. But, you know, even uh, you mentioned the contract, even the contract, I think, was when we mentioned having the asset to trade. Even the contract was very telling for Jabari's status in the league because that was a two year deal. But I want to say for all intents and purposes, it was a one year wow. deal that that 20 million was guaranteed. And that second year was not. And, and we've seen him kind of bounce around since then and now not even in the league at this point. So it, it is, and, and I agree that I would have been curious to see if it's not John Horst in that spot, what happens with Jabari Parker, because it's just human nature that you don't want to admit to a mistake that in all likelihood, he's probably retained that off season if, if it's not John Horst. So uh, the look, the, the ability to move on from a mistake is just as important as not making that mistake to recognize, okay, let's not continue to, to dump money into a sunk cost here and let's just move on from it. And I do think uh, if people remember back to that Boston series, uh, Jabari was disgruntled, uh, should we say that, in that in that postseason series. That was actually one of the first times. Well, that was the first time or first season that I covered the Bucks in person. And I was at those practices in Boston where let's say that he either didn't show up or he was grumpy or he didn't want to talk to anyone. Um, it was a rough time. So maybe that contributed Adjusting to that. Adjusting to the role of coming off the bench to him That's and all right. of it. Was, there, yeah. there was a lot. And, and you know, I actually, even if Jason Kidd was there, I'd be surprised if Jabari was back. It didn't feel like that was a great relationship either. 
uh, early in the season, and there was a couple of big trades uh, during this season, but early in the season, the Daly and Henson, and this is again when I talk about damage control. And by the way, everyone knows that I love Matthew Daly for Dover and love John Henson. Uh, but the contracts, you know, getting off those uh, for two guys that, that weren't going to play a lot or weren't necessarily contributing a lot at that point in time. Daly was playing, but it did feel like an upgrade to George Hill. And, and you know, I thought people feel about how they feel about him now and whether he, he should uh, be on the Bucks next season. But I thought he was one of the better playoff contributors. I thought he was reliable. I thought he was a steady hand for a team uh, that probably needed that. Uh, they also traded a first in this, and this is a theme over future years. And me and you spent um, many or much time yeah. trying to figure out what the hell happened with this first round draft pick. It was a, a, a 2021 first, I believe. Then as a part of the Drew Holiday trade, uh, they had to flip that and make it a 2022 so it's for some Stepien rule stuff. Couldn't trade first in back-to-back or back-to-back years. So anyway, tracking this thing down is is an utter mystery, I believe. Uh, did we come to the conclusion that Houston has it? Is that what we think? <laughs> I believe I, I so. And it was ba- it was tied to like three other deals too that it basically yeah. had the clauses in it of like, well, this becomes this if this and that was tied to this deal. Like it got delayed. This was tied as well to the the first one that we talked about with the Eric Bledsoe trade because that got delayed in where it conveyed. So then that pushed back protections on other picks, including this one. So the list, I mean, you'll fall down a rabbit hole trying to figure out all of these trades, not just for the Bucks, but any NBA team with first round pick deals. Uh, so, you know, I think if, as we assess that trade for for the results immediately on the court, yeah, I think it was it was good to get George Hill in. Uh, obviously, a massive shame that you had to trade a first round pick, which you know, as we've probably looked at in recent times, that was that was a blow. Uh, Thornmaker they traded later in the in the season for Nico Miritich. I mentioned this on the podcast a couple of days ago, but I actually podcasted with Thorn a couple of days ago for ESPN, and he said I asked him specifically because not many people have asked him whether he did request the trade, and he said that. Uh, you know, his people, whatever, were negotiating a way for him to either get more minutes or perhaps find an opportunity elsewhere. And I think, again, you can look at it now in totality and say, well, geez, the return for a number 10 pick from a couple of years ago wasn't great because Miritich obviously wasn't great in the postseason and then just left the NBA. So, <laughs> I, and by the way, it was MVP of the Euro League uh, yeah. this year. So playing, you know, great basketball. And I think, you know, at the time, uh, when you think about the trades that happened on that trade deadline, uh, Marcus Ole was one of them. Uh, was Jimmy Butler one of them? Well, that was earlier in the season. There was another trade. Oh, Tobias Harris, I think it was, was the one that yeah. went to to Philadelphia. So there were some big names. And on the day, I remember specifically, most of the national outlets were pumped about Miritich to the Bucks. It looked like a needle mover. Uh, it was a good deal. I, I, I still maintain it. Again, it's, man, the 10th overall pick, like what you did with that asset is the tough pill to swallow with that. But I would still maintain it was a good deal that you you weren't getting production from Thon Maker. And Nico Miritich was a guy that seemed to check all the boxes. And it, it, it follows a laundry list of guys that we've seen throughout the years of you bring in a shooter and he just doesn't shoot once you get to the postseason. With Nico, too, it, the tough thing that I think some people forget about is he got injured right before the playoffs against the Lakers and came back as the playoffs had were starting, um, or was it early in that first-round series? But regardless, right before yeah. the playoffs, and then came back uh, as it was starting, and he just never really looked like the same guy 
after that happened, but it was, you know, basically you remember the deal as second round picks. I think it was four second rounders that they sent there. And it was, that's the other underlying thing that's kind of become the MO for John Horst is quietly acquiring these second round picks and using those to deal for these type of role players here. Um, but also was this, um, I know Thon Maker was in the deal and Jason Smith, who um, was most <laughs> famous for the for the meme that he created here in his time, but uh, was that was Stanley Johnson? Was that part of the deal too? Yeah, uh, didn't he like sign or I don't know? I know Sam Decker well, never, was involved yeah. there and uh, never showed up to Milwaukee. There was a, there was a there was a bunch of other I guess moving parts there. I think Jason Smith and Cash came to the Bucks, which is always exciting when you get a bit of cash. Uh, but that was uh, sort of what I traced that back to. Uh, one other one that I'll mention here. Uh, before we move on to, I think, the most recent signings and, and the big ones that that have kind of led or helped uh, win the championship, but later on that season, and this was a John Horst deal. So again, you talk about damage control in his first offseason, he signed Tony Snell to that long-ass contract that, you know, I, I think everyone looked at it and said, Good, my goodness, you need to pay Tony Snell that much money. At 12.01, too. And we all love Tony Snell. Do not get me wrong. Love Tony. But this deal was bad at the start. And they ultimately ended up trading a first-round pick uh, with uh, to get off the Snell deal. And uh, and then basically they they got John Lua back and then stretched him immediately. Yeah. And they've only just stopped paying John Lua. So, yeah, again, when the one thing that I think you give credit to John Horse for, and I've said this the whole time, is that if he makes a mistake, he'll do whatever is necessary to reverse uh, that mistake, but that that was a bad one, and that will go down as a bad one. And anytime you have to uh, trade a first round pick for for a role player that was overpaid immediately, and again, as you said, that deal came through quickly. Uh, that one uh, was a shame. That that was uh, that doesn't you don't look back at that one as a good one. No, uh, no, you do not. And I believe the good news is you mentioned the John Luer, uh, the Larry Sanders one as well. That. I, I believe this was this is the year that all the dead money is now off the books for the Bucks, beginning with this upcoming season. So you don't want to be in that spot. And uh, that deal is, as you mentioned, just one, uh, who are you bidding against for Tony Snell? I get that he checks some boxes for you, but that's the first signing you make in, in, in free agency is retaining him. And then, it's as you mentioned, it's going to be the theme using a first round pick to get off of that. Uh, certainly suboptimal, but the good news and the silver lining in that is no more dead money going forward, at least for now. Uh, that's right. Uh, but uh, speaking of money, our friends at betonline.net is the place to go if you uh, enjoy uh, wagering some money in on sports, and uh, betonline.net is. The number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, fights, uh, and even next season's NFL futures. Uh, you can also get next season's NBA futures. I believe the Bucks are around fourth favorite for the title next year, but you can get on to betonline.net and find out uh, the exact odds as they sit today. And the Warriors will go in favorites in the NBA finals as well. Don't forget about that. Uh, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action that's bet online where the game starts. All right, uh, one of the one of the bigger deals, and I think you know all of this ties in together. Bro- the Brogdon sign and trade to the Pacers, and this was part of the offseason where the Bucks extended Brook Lopez, they extended Chris Milton. I think those moves clearly uh, panned out. 
Uh, they end up getting a first, which ended up becoming RJ Hampton, which ended up becoming a part of the Drew Holiday deal. So like a lot of these trades, uh, I think you you end up a few years down the track being able to judge them uh, properly. Uh, Brogdon's clearly, when he's been healthy, been excellent for the Pacers. But health was a problem with the Bucks. Health has clearly been a problem with the Pacers. And now it seems like they're going to try and get off uh, that trade as well. They obviously traded for Tyrese Halliburton uh, towards the back end of the season. So people will always be angry about this one. I didn't mind this one at the time. I still don't mind it now. Brogdon, clearly, you talk about value for money as a second-round draft pick, was sensational. Uh, but I think there was a number of reasons and concerns why the Bucks didn't want to uh, pay Malcolm Brogdon. Again, uncool if people want to look back on this one and say it was a mistake. Uh, but in totality, three years down the track, you use that first-round pick you got to acquire the guy to put you over the top, which I think has to be taken into account. I was fine with it at the time, and, th- and this was uh, another one. Like the, the Jabari Parker one was the appetizer to this being the main course of, of people being very – very upset with uh, the Malcolm Brogdon move. Now, if you want to criticize anything in that, it would be the way the, and I know they've gone on to explain the reasoning behind this, but the way the sign and trade was handled in not creating the trade exception in yes, that move. Is. But the, the the decision to not retain him, I was fine with when you looked at where the team was headed and the, the, the investment of, okay, Chris Middleton and Brooke are the two most important pieces here that we have to retain because, you know, it was a great year, Bud's first year, but it's easy to forget that heading into the playoffs, there was a lot of, man, I hope this works because we got three big pieces that are all free agents this off season that you got to make decisions on. And who knows, this could be the last time that this team is together. So the Brogdon thing, I think it's, it's another example of, the negative being one, the, the trade asset or the, the trade exception not being there, um, but just not having the contract as an asset. Like Malcolm Brogdon, if you still had him, number one, boy, you would be starting to push the Brooklyn Nets and the Warriors in terms of that tax bill <laughs> for that 20 plus million dollars the last couple of years in, in addition to everything else. And they would have um, been in it significantly earlier, two seasons right. earlier. Yeah. But, but I mean, also, let's look at it, you know, the butterfly effect here of you, you retain Malcolm Brogdon. What are the chances you do go out and trade for uh, Drew Holiday? If not, Malcolm Brogdon's in that deal there. So uh, you just didn't have that asset to move, which, again, right now, if you had a $20 million contract to move on from that had some value across the league, Sure, that would be nice to have and say, okay, we can use this to bring in something else that makes sense. Um, but it's just tough to say, man, if you retained him, who knows if you make the deal for Drew Holiday, who knows how that impacts anything else. So just the decision to say we value Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton more than this guy to me was the right one. Yeah, and again, it's a hindsight trade because uh, I think for the first 12 months anyway, or, or I guess it would have been 18 months, shortened seasons, whatever. But I think everyone was looking at it and saying, well, my Man. God! Why couldn't now, he have done that here? Now yeah. we've now we've got Bledsoe, and this is not yeah. working out. And Brogdon is looking fantastic, so it was a really difficult one to stomach. Uh, clearly, <laughs> the Drew Holiday trade is a tick. I had someone in the YouTube comments yesterday saying that it was short-sighted, and it's you know it's not going to help the team. Whatever. I mean, Jesus Christ! They they won a, a a damn championship, so that is fine. And then the Giannis extension, which by the way, again, I'm. 
you know, people will decide whatever what level of credit they want to give to John Horse. Fine, I don't really care. I'm not going to get into that argument. But that has happened in the tenure, and that was bigger than any other thing that's happened for this franchise in I don't, maybe ever. You go back and and, and work that yeah. out and make your own decision. So uh, that's obviously a tick. The Bobby Portis free agent signing, obviously a tick. DJ Augustine signing, uh, maybe that's a no. But again, when you talk about a man that is willing to fix his mistakes, DJ Augustine, I still don't know how they did it, but DJ Augustine, DJ Wilson, and yes, another first-round pick, which actually only moved the team back about seven positions in the draft. It was a first for a second swap. A miraculous trade to get PJ Tucker. I, I don't know how they did it or how another team couldn't have a better deal, but they get PJ Tucker. We know how that worked out. So DJ Augustine, big cross, uh, but the DJ Augustine trade, big tick. Well, I think the, the biggest examples of John Horst making a mistake and then moving on from it relatively quickly was number one, DJ Augustine, which I think at best it was 50-50 of, of skepticism going in. At worst, it was a lot of people saying, what are we doing here with an undersized point guard that's probably past his prime, uh, but doesn't even last the full season, recognizes this isn't working, let's do something else and uh, use him in a package saw the same thing this season with our guy Shemi Ochelet and Rodney Hood moving on from those guys. Um, so he does do that. But the um, the interesting part, you know, we talk about the butterfly effect with the Malcolm Brogdon stuff is, man, in hindsight, when you look back at the James Harden trade, to me, now that may have factored into why the – the Rockets were willing to deal with the Bucks and not with a team like the Nets that were also interested in him. But to me, man, that might be what won the championship is when Houston made that trade, or Brooklyn, I should say, made that trade with Houston, we spent so much time criticizing, man, why do you have to include Jared Allen in this deal? And it seems like they're giving up a lot of assets. But there were ways for them to make that a deal that was James Harden and P.J. Tucker coming over for the package they gave up and they decided not to do that, that that might ultimately be what decided who won the championship. So, uh, you know, and, and then again, we move into the fact the Bucks didn't retain PJ. And again, I, I've mentioned this before, but it's, it's difficult. So to me, and this is just my basic, very simple minded thinking. So people can accuse me of all types of things, but uh, I, I wouldn't imagine there's a GM out there that wants to spend less money. So I, I think, yeah, whether or not he had concerns or thoughts about whether PJ could last the season, to me, that feels like more of an ownership decision than a GM. But I might be wrong with the PJ Tucker in the money stuff because you know, if you're a GM, why wouldn't you want to spend more money? Why wouldn't you want to have better players and a better team? That's just, again, very simple uh, thinking for mine. Uh, just we're probably going to wrap this up here soon, but just a couple other quick ones. Uh, Sam Merrill for the... And the, and the Grayson Allen trade, uh, you know, and then they extend Grayson Allen and people feel whatever way they feel about it. I still feel that that'll be a movable a piece if you need it to be moving forward. And Grayson Allen started for the majority of the season and had some really good moments. So I, I think, you know, it didn't work out in the playoffs, uh, but I don't think Grayson Allen is a bad player. I think he's an NBA player um, that had a, I, I have more faith in Grayson Allen than, than Bryn Forbes uh, in yes. terms of what he can do as an, as an all around player. So, uh, again, people will feel about that how they will. And then just the last one, Dante DiVincenzo, obviously, uh, which I think we all said the trade didn't work out. Uh, but it, it was probably internally 
a trade that they had to make for insurance for Brook Lopez. I think it's very easily explainable. So I guess the the big point is, and there's a bunch of little moves and let us know what other moves you're interested in that you don't like or you do like and your general thoughts on the past five years. But lots of trades, Justin. Uh, mistakes for sure. Uh, that I think for the most part, the mistakes have at least attempted to be uh, fixed or, or repaired or, or glossed over, or however you want to say it. Uh, but there has been plenty of action. It's been a really interesting uh, period. He did win that executive of the year in 2019. But I would say it's it, it hasn't been dull. It hasn't been a dull tenure for John Horse. That's for damn sure. No, um, th- there's certainly been moves. Um, I think it, the Pat Connaughton one to me might be the biggest move that John Horst has made here because of the impact that he's given you and how Pat has improved every single year here. And that's another big decision for Pat and for the team to hopefully retain him this upcoming offseason. But um, yeah, I, I think the the Grayson Allen thing, I am in agreement on that. It's everything we said about previous deals of, look, even if you if it doesn't work out, you have a $9 million per year deal that is a very movable contract. And the other thing too, is as bad as it looked against Boston, number one, that is a really, really good defense that's long and rangy. That makes it difficult for a guy like Grayson Allen, who doesn't have the wingspan and isn't a great shot creator. You think of him as more of a catch and shoot guy. It's a tough matchup, but also, you know, it looks a lot different if Chris Middleton is on the floor in that series. So I think that's the one thing we do have to keep in mind. I agree on the PJ Tucker thing as well. Like he was maybe the most instrumental outside of Drew in them winning a championship and changing how they did things. So I would assume that wasn't John Horst's decision to say, hey, go ahead and find a deal elsewhere and we'll match it if we have to. Um, but I, I also misspoke here, and I should clean this up. John Horst, actually, from the moment he arrived in Milwaukee, was the director of basketball operations. I thought there was another step before that happened. But he had done that for, for almost 10 years before becoming the general manager. So it wasn't quite the, whoa, who the heck is this guy? There was still a lot of especially casual fans that had no idea who he was, but he was in an elevated role for many, many years prior uh, to getting that role. But it's just fascinating, the whole GM thing in general for the Bucks, the hiring of John Horst that seemingly caught everybody off guard. He wasn't even one of the finalists, remember, when they were interviewing for it. And I remember talking with Alex Lazary one time where he said he had known John due to projects that they were working on that Alex was attached to and, and got to know him and kept telling his dad, this guy's really smart and I like the way he thinks we should find something else for him and make sure we keep that in mind. Um, so he wasn't on that initial list and then eventually got the interview and got the job in the span of a weekend, it seemed like. But also the Justin Zanuck thing, that is to me, one of the more fascinating stories that we talk about all these things, man, I can't wait to read what happened there. Uh, The PJ Tucker decision is certainly on that list, but Justin Zanuck and what happened there as well as he was here for one year as the GM in waiting fell through, goes to Utah. And now he might be in the same spot as well as the journal manager, but Danny Ainge lurking in the background. Yeah, that, that is one story that's still a little bit of a mystery uh, to this point. And I guess we should say the next big decision, which we've discussed and we'll continue to discuss is what the Bucks do this off season. Obviously it's a tricky situation and pick 24 is involved in that. Uh, certainly as we've walked through in this podcast, uh, trading picks or trading selected players, not exactly something that uh, John Horst is too fearful of doing. So we'll see uh, what they do moving forward. Make sure you check out the Locked On NBA podcast 
uh, they'll be getting ready for the finals, uh, I would imagine. Uh, Celtics and Warriors a couple of days away, game one there. Uh, but let us know because I know that I do. This is a topic uh, that when people discuss, they get passionate about. They have their one move or their signing or, uh, you know, there's always someone that wants to bring up Christian Wood, for instance, that we didn't even touch on. So there's all these different names that are involved and people feel uh, differently about uh, that way. So we've just walked through it all, but now you guys can let us know uh, what you think of it and what moves you, uh, were the best, uh, what moves you hated. But ultimately, if you had have said five years ago that the Bucks were going to win a title in, within five years, Giannis was going to sign the Supermax. I think if you're a Bucks fan uh, that had been through everything that Bucks fans had been through over the previous decades, I think you would have absolutely taken that. And that is the situation we're in now, even though it's going to continue to be tricky moving forward. So uh, we'll leave it there. We'll be back tomorrow with another podcast, of course. Justin, uh, I'll I'll let you off the hook tomorrow, most likely, most likely. But, you know, I mean, we, we can't rule out uh, anything at this point in time. But uh, for Justin and myself, we'll leave it there. I'll speak to you guys tomorrow.